This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 11th of August, and here is my continued virtual and physical co-host, Jon. Continued virtual. I'm not sure if that's a compliment, to be honest. But happily, I'm here joined by my session-stealing co-host, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? Like, great minds think alike, or is it fools seldom differ? I don't know. It's up to you. Yeah, but that also means that if great minds think alike, that means non-great minds also think alike. So that phrase, that saying, doesn't mean to me. That's why fools seldom differ, you see? That's (laughs) the counterpart to it. Anyway... Less insulting each other, more talking about KubeCon Europe. More? More, yes. Please, sir, can I have some more? Yes, you can. Um, so we, uh, we got partway through our KubeCon prep, and we decided that we would have a, uh, a second session uh, so we didn't blow you into oblivion with an epic hour-long uh, KubeCon preview. So here you are, episode 205, and we're getting back to it. Um, The agenda, uh, we're now up to Wednesday at 14.30 local time. And this this time, my pick is currently not on the screen, so is yours. Uh, Just taking a look here. Nope, I don't see mine either. Uh, Oh, here it is. This is mine. ML, AI, yes, it's a, it's a buzzword. I do like it. And if I see a session that doesn't have too much competition, I will quite likely go for it there. And uh, yeah, I mean, Kubernetes, Data Lake, and AI in one title, I mean, how much click, more clickbaity can you be? But mm-hmm. there's also reality that it's getting more and more something that I, I encounter uh, in my everyday life where people are moving their compute towards Kubernetes platforms. Uh, the data mm-hmm. kind of has to follow along. Now, Kubernetes is very much a compute-only platform. They do have things like persistent storage, so they can have, you can have something in there. But being uh, in a situation where you have to kind of combine, couple, integrate your new Kubernetes brand spanking platform with your existing legacy, whatever you want to call it, data lake, in whatever shape or form it may be, this could be a Hadoop platform, this could be a, a, a data warehouse, a relation data, it doesn't matter, right? It's the concept of the data lake here. Uh, it's something yeah. that's interesting. And uh, they do have the even more buzzwords here, uh, hybrid cloud and things like that. So I'm a bit... Yeah. But it's red Well, I, I, I think that's because... So I think they're in, in their terming, they're, they're talking about hybrid cloud because they've got a bunch of Ceph in there. So they'll have... My guess is it'll be a whole bunch of Ceph on bare metal and it, the compute will be on Kubernetes, which is like... That's a perfectly valid, um, you know, approach to the... Well, whether it's actual bare metal, bare metal, or bare metal, virtual bare metal, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but it's also got Hive Mate and Metastore in there. It's got Spark and yeah. Presto. So it should be more oh, than yeah. that. So it does ring a bell. Yeah, They're yeah. not going very deep on uh, TensorFlow and uh, NumPy. And yeah. the real, it's more of an infrastructure talk, which I think is what I'm looking for here. So, mm-hmm. But again, it's an ML thing. It's an AI thing. And I think they should have called it ML workloads, not AI workloads, to be honest. But whatever. I'm oh, come on. ML's dead. AI is the new hotness. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> right. So continue to scroll down and uh, pause there. So mine is reimagining worldwide LHC computing grid on Kubernetes. Um, obviously, the, the huge Hadron Collider 
it's the Large Hadron Collider. But anyway, um, folks from CERN and the University of Manchester talking about some big, 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 big processing. And that's just got to be epic. Jon has a a history in this space. I have... I have been involved at the very fringes of this back in uh, back in the day, and it's just any time I see um, technical folks uh, at CERN presenting, it's a good time. And I'm yep. yeah, the scale the scale at which they operate is just awesome, and I think everybody can learn a little bit from uh, from what they what they do, and also. They're often the folks that are very much testing the limits of uh, of the experience as well. So yeah, it's good to find out just how far you can stretch this particular rubber band before it snaps. Yeah, for people that have looked at my uh, scheduled uh, sessions, they will notice that this was actually my first pick. I was assuming you're going to steal it, so I went for my second pick, so you wouldn't be annoyed by me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, CERN, always fun. Uh, I was involved uh, with their infrastructure while ago, I actually worked in an office where I had a full view of a real life-size replica of the Atlas detector on the side of a building. It's, uh, it's cool stuff. They do a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, should be a good session. No, no, no questions yeah. asked. All right. So <laughs> next up, moving on to 1655. Yeah, again, passing We're over the whole skipping all the keynotes. keynote things. Yeah. Skippity, skip, skip, skip. And... Mine is not there yet. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, I'm looking at what I want to look at. I have to look there because that's yeah, where my sheet is. And this in is that. where the other screen is. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, that one. Oops. Let's see. Where do we go? No, that screen. Yep. Uh, still nothing? Just a lack of preparedness, really. I know, I know, I know. What can I say? Right. Well, I see mine right there, so I'm going to go first. 20,000 upgrades later. I mean, just how cool is this going to be? Um, lessons from a year of managed Kubernetes upgrades. Uh, Adam from DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean, another great bunch of folks. Very transparent. Uh, great documentation. Great blog posts. I've seen a few of their talks over the years at various conferences. Always been impressed. Uh, you know, love it. Let's do it. Let's see it. Let's listen. Let's learn. It's also one of my uh, picks, let's say, but the one I'm going for is a bit of a possible maybe not. It kind of depends on the previous one I was talking about with the ML mm-hmm. storage thing. This mm-hmm. looks, sounds a bit like a maybe repeti- repetitive or continuation of the two. So it's going to depend on the previous one uh, went, if I'm going to go for this one. But it's been the same vein again, uh, looking at uh, distributed storage in a Kubernetes environment. How do you have that state full connection to your Kubernetes compute environment? And if the other one does turn out to be a dud, which I don't expect, I would probably fall back to the steering committee that's on the same uh, time slot here. Oops. Uh, yeah, somewhere here. Yeah, this one, the steering committee. Again, it's a panel. Mm-hmm. Could be bad, could be good, but it's usually always mm-hmm. interesting. At least it gives you an idea of where it's going, what, 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 the, what they think is important, what the things I should be paying attention to now or in the next year should be so we'll see how that works fair enough fair enough moving on indeed it is the last session of that day if i'm not mistaken 
so I do not see my pick there. Do Unless you, you mine, which is this yours? one, which is another panel. Another panel? Yeah, You're addicted to do... the panels, aren't you? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's, again, it depends. If I move to the panel in the previous one, I'll probably not go to this panel because I want to do panel, mm -hmm. back to back panels. But this was, if mm -hmm. the other one, which I don't think I'll be for, uh, attending, then this one uh, also sounds interesting. State of the Union, same kind of idea. I'm not going to talk too much mm -hmm. about it. You didn't see yours yet? No, no. Mine is uh, a delightful purple color. And uh, yeah, it's, the, it's uh, no, one more down. It's in place, upgrade, no way. Blue green your way to a new Kubernetes version. Uh, and it's from Ricardo from Rakuten. Um, I think this is a, a really interesting um, sort of topic. I, I, I mean, I think a combination of this and the, the previous DigitalOcean um, should give people that are operating Kubernetes a, a really good idea of how to how to handle a lot of the different concerns people have um, upgrading Kubernetes. It's it's if you're if you're operating your own Kubernetes clusters and you're not just using the sort of uh, the managed offerings that various organisations provide, there is a not insignificant amount of. Uh, drama, pain, heartache, stress involved in these kind of upgrades. And, uh, you know, blue-green um, sort of testing to make sure that you can keep up with the, the pace of releases, you know, keep the, the quality of your service as high as possible. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a huge amount to learn here. Very interesting. It sounds like they're, you know, I'm sure they'll be talking from their perspective of doing this in production so yeah looking forward to it and uh yeah i think oh, there's a lot to learn yeah it's always unfortunate that newer technologies have a faster upgrade path while it's still not all figured out yet and it's a harder upgrade path by the time it all gets figured out and upgrades become a yeah just press a button it works Upgrades don't happen. That, the technology's dead. We've moved on to something else that's now <laughs> <laughs> scary and hairy. <sighs> yep. Yeah. I do have a shout out here because we used mm -hmm. to start out as a Hadoop podcast. and there's I knew it. There. I knew you couldn't let it I go. You couldn't let it slip. It. I can't find it. Where is it? You, you went past it's, it. It's, 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 it's light blue-ish. Oh, here. <sighs> Lessons learned on Hadoop and Kubernetes. Which, by the way, is something I typically wouldn't advise to do, but I'm not allowed to talk about it any further by my co-host, so I'm not going to. Yep, quite right too. <laughs> All right, so we're now we're now through to Thursday, um, and uh, do you see your pick there? Of course I do. It's a panel. Okay. I must admit oh, that this is quite often happens in these uh, conferences that the further down the line you go. I have a harder time, or an easier time, if you want, <laughs> if you look at it like that, picking sessions, because somehow I still have a feeling that good sessions get top-loaded or something like that, which makes no sense, to be honest. But anyway, this is the one I landed on for this slot, because I yeah, could really find anything that talked to me more. Hmm. And user community adoption, principles, lessons learned. It has lessons learned in there again, principles, community, I'm hoping it's going to be kind of useful as a good, uh, a nice gentle start of the day, let's say. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, so if you scroll down, we're looking for a, a beautiful teal color, and there it is, threat modeling, securing Kubernetes infrastructure and deployments uh, from uh, Rowan at Control Plane and Jonathan at Citibank. And again, the, the combination of a vendor and a customer right, can sometimes be good, can sometimes be a bit of a sales fest, but I have I have high hopes for this. Um, it, you know, the, the abstract looks pretty meaty. They're talking about real-world examples. They're talking about multi-tenant security architectures from financial services, defense in depth, how to integrate Kubernetes with a global SOC, gotchas, common threats, advanced mitigations. I mean, this this should be, this has all the makings of a great session. So let's, let's see if they can pull it off. Yeah, for me, yeah, I didn't didn't speak to me, let's say. Fair enough. Moving on, 13.45, what did I pick? Uh, okay, do you see yours? I don't well, see mine I do see mine right at the very bottom there. What you need to know about open metrics with uh, hmm. Brian Brazil of Robust Perception and uh, my, my good friend Richard Hartman at Grafana Labs. Um, this is there's there's such a lot of buzz going on in the sort of metrics community right now about open metrics um the one of the defining slides um in the sort of very high level open metrics um conversation is that very famous deal but now there are 15 competing standards uh slide and you know the open metrics project is really trying not to perpetuate continue <laughs> perpetuating that myth and i think it really does have a a chance of some success here um many of the vendors in the metric space are actually you know signing up to supporting the open metrics um sort of standards as they are evolving and you know, I think I think for anyone that is interested in the the metric space and open metrics, I think this will be a really interesting session. So yeah, that's my pick. Yeah, yeah, open metrics uh, is definitely gaining a lot of traction, and it's a good thing. I mean, inter integration mm. and traction is always good, but I do think yeah. it's a little bit about an XKCD. You are absolutely right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Although I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, and. In my view, you can basically sum up every single tech organization with you know, either a combination of Dilbert or XKCD. Like those, those two things between them just cover every, every single organization I've ever seen or, uh, or interacted with. And I sent you a Dilbert a couple of days ago, which I also liked. Maybe by doing the whole thing about it. <laughs> anyway, um, I did see mine here earlier. Just pass over it. Mm. Uh, it's an auto-scaling one again. Same uh, thing I talked about last episode. Auto-scaling, still a bit of magic involved here. Now, this is a deep dive into auto-scaling. It's from a Google person, uh, two Google persons, sorry. So, um, hoping to get some Google information people? here. Though the abstract is kind of, um, it's terse word, it is now. It doesn't tell me much about it. A lot of acronyms mm. in there. But, um, yeah, the auto-scaling thing, it's something, it's going to happen. People will start pushing it. And as a, 
uh, personal easy talk about stuff like this i kind of need to know what's happening in that space as well because auto scaling is going to be one of those either brilliant magic solutions or one of the snake oils people will try to push on you and i think it's important for people to be well educated and i think uh some engineers from google should be able to give me the the, the plain truth i guess hopefully fair enough all right I, th- I think it's kind of interesting that you're picking you're picking stuff that you're you don't believe in or you don't believe in yet i think that's that's a uh, I suppose you're you're trying to be convinced that it could be real in the future. Um, no, it's it's how I approach a lot of things. It's I, I've got an opinion, I've got something there, and I see people having a different opinion. And please convince me. If okay, you convince me, enough. I'll learn something, which is a good thing. If you can't convince me, hey, I'm not stupid, which is also a good thing. <laughs> fair enough. Fair but, enough. I mean, no, these things are yeah neutral situations. They can kind of yeah. Uh, how to call it, a challenge your own convic- convictions and see if it sticks on the wall or not. I think, I think the phrase is strong opinions loosely held. Never heard You that. should have. <laughs> You've never heard that? Oh, okay. Anyway, let's, let's move on. So what's your, what's your pick for 1430? Um, uh, not much, to be honest. So I ended up with a um, panel again. This has nothing to do with, uh, with Kubernetes. It does have open source. I'm actually uh, specifically attending that one for the podcast, to be honest, because mm-hmm. we're talking a lot about open source and how you do your careers. We had some uh, episodes about people starting out as data engineers and stuff like that. I must yeah. uh, This feels like something that might become an episode in the future. There's some people up there we might want to invite. So I basically kind of shamelessly am going to do some uh, work that day and... Uh, Attend this panel and see if it's interesting. Nice, very nice. Um, so my pick, keep scrolling down, is called the Veterinarian in Bare Metal Land. Your cattle are still pets. <laughs> no, they're uh, not. By Jeremy at Booking dot com. Um, if your, by the way, if your pet is a server, mm, you probably need to check that. Anyway, um, no, I think no, this is no this is still. A very, you know, very big reality for a lot of folks. Yes, cloud is almost certainly the future for the majority of organizations. But that doesn't mean that a lot of organizations still have some very big data centers today. And if you've got big data centers full of rusty old tin, um, then you will be caring about those servers. And despite the fact that we talk about, um, you know, in the, in the cloud native world, all of your you know, microservices being cattle, not pets. And that comes from the sort of the thought that if there is something wrong, you should just be able to you know, shoot that particular instance in the head and you know not feed water, care for it, but just spin up a new one and away you go. Of course, it doesn't really work quite so well in the, in the physical world where you've still got tin that needs you know, some form of maintenance. And I think this is still the reality for a lot of people. Um, I am really interested in this sort of uh, this view and understanding what people like Booking.com are doing across in a state of, you know, in their case, you know, fifteen hundred servers. Um, well, no, actually, they're talking about uh, yeah, they're talking about a, a fleet of fifteen hundred servers and what that experience is like. So, 
I think there's still a lot of stuff to be learnt in this. Um, I guess it's almost like a hybrid view where your your software infrastructure is is very much uh, cattle, but maybe your underlying hardware is still a little bit more pet-like. Um, I agree with everything you say, but... But? <laughs> I don't see cloud as solving this. I actually see cloud as making this worse. Because in your data center, you'll have, at most, five different types of servers. Because there's a four-year depreciation thing, so every year you buy new stuff, and you have four generations of hardware there. Look at any public cloud out there. They've got dozens and dozens of VM types. With a bit more, uh, a better RAM versus CPU uh, ratio, Network, more disks yeah. here, more thing there. So actually, if I look at people architecting for cloud, they're a lot more detail-oriented than most current modern hardware data centers. Because in the current hardware data centers, there's a bit of a starvation happening there because most of the hardware vendors kind of, yeah, kind of came to the same optimal solutions, let's say. I mean, still one core, eight gigabytes RAM, that's pretty much your, your sweet spot for pricing and stuff. So there's not that much going on there. But if you're going to go to the cloud, you have a big, big job at selecting the VM that will give you the best bang for your buck. And hey, you just entered pets territory here. So I agree with the whole idea that on bare metal, it's definitely not as easy as the, the slogan would say. No slogans ever tell the truth. That's why the slogan of truth. Mm-hmm. But I disagree with your opinion, uh, not sure if it's yours or his opinion, that it's different in uh, the cloud. Because uh, in the cloud, from experience, I can say it's quite often even worse. Mm, so, yes and no, from my perspective. I, I, I get your point, and I do think there is something there, but I also... So the way I see a lot of organizations approaching this is they will just, you know, they'll take a random stab in the dark at what they think their instance type needs to be. And to me, that's that's the what you're seeing as the, the, the pet element of it. I see it as the cattle element of it, because as long as you've got a, uh, you know, an image that you care about that you're deploying, um, you can swap that image between any of your different instance variants. And the way that I see most people doing this is they will start on what they think is the right instance type, um, but they will and you know they will scale those things out with load and all that kind of goodness. But they will keep an eye on the overall utilization. And I see people running production infrastructure and architectures, you know, continually looking at their utilization and you know wanting to get into that sweet spot of you know eighty to ninety percent utilization of their instances to maximize their bang for buck and therefore altering those instance types until they find the the right sort of mixture of how many of these instances do I need versus what size do those individual instances need to be. Yeah, but the problem is that you don't have control of what these instances mean. Because it's not just going from two cores to four cores and double the memory. Your network bandwidth suddenly got throttled because you're on a server type that has more concurrent VMs running on that server type. 
I've actually ran through a customer ordeal where they had a auto-scaling, it wasn't Kubernetes, but it was a kind of the same microservices architecture thing running. And they did a big upgrade for the uh, application layer. And they wanted to keep the stuff running, so they wanted to add more, put the new stuff there, and then uh, starve, uh, starve off the old stuff, which is a way of doing mm. upgrade, no problem there. The problem there was that they had built everything on VM type one, which didn't exist anymore as a current offering. So all of the benchmarking, all of the testing, all of another window, it all had to be done again. If you're in a, in, a, in a data center, it's got a lot of bad things in your own data center. I agree, it's not perfect, nothing is perfect, but you're kind of certain that a socket is a socket and you control, you have more control there. And the moment that you can't, yeah, I mean, yeah it's pretty much saying the same yeah. thing on, in different ways to be yeah, honest. Yeah, uh, I, I think it, so it is, it's a very real concern that not only you, you not only have the problems that you've just described, but you also have the problems of, you know, a, a, an instance that you spin up may, you know, all, one of these instances is not like the other. Um, there's a common issue where you can spin up an instance and, as you say, it happens to be on a, a more heavily loaded, you know, physical node, you end up with a noisy neighbor problem. And it is very common for folks that are in this, um, in this particular rabbit hole all the way down deep to have a whole bunch of automated testing to make sure that even when an instance is spun up, they test it to make sure it's within their acceptable performance um, characteristics. And if it's not, they boot it out. And of course that can also change, the, the challenges that that can also change as, as, uh, as uh, you know, workloads change on a, on a well, second by second basis. Hey, after the session, come to me and uh, educate me. <laughs> School me, that's the way. Right? Well, moving on then. 17, the again. 17.20 up next. What did I have? Uh, penultimate session. We're almost through the whole conference here. I don't see mine mm, yet, which is a bright, bright green. Not quite. Um, so mine is there actually. Stop right there. Panel security is not. So this is my first panel. I'll have you know, security is not a unicorn. Um, so we've got a, an interesting selection of folks here across the industry, and the the topic that they're looking to discuss is um, whether or not current Kubernetes security best practices are at odds with the architectural requirements of heavy computational workloads. I think this is a really, it's a valid concern right now. The incredibly, not just the, the heavy workloads, but the very fluid nature of Kubernetes and the workloads and microservices therein tend to be completely at odds with the, you know, more rigid uh, general requirements or preferred uh, solutions that, you know, security and infosec folks would rather have. And I think the the conversation of how to best, you know, juggle or find a, a sort of a mid middle ground here is is a really interesting uh, discussion to have. How, how do you see it different for HPC versus everything else? Now they're using HPC here, but they're talking about heavy computational workloads, those of machine learning or high performance computing. 
Um, I mean, for me, HPC is very big batch jobs that run in isolated clusters and nobody touches if you don't have mm. the secret uh, incantation to get there, which makes security traditionally quite easy. Machine learning is a totally different animal because that's a lot of data scientists yeah. making copies of data to their own data environments and doing stuff with that. So I'm hoping that they don't spend too much time on the HPC elements of it and they focus more on Kubernetes versus um, yeah versus the the sort of security elements of it, but yeah I don't know there's there's this this was a a slot where I this was my sort of my favorite of the slot but I didn't really have any other great ones that I liked in here yeah because it's a bit of a mixed jumble of things there but again panels. As we've mentioned mm. before, I mentioned before, uh, they can be good, they can be bad. They're always interesting. What's your yep. pick? Uh, well, I like the color green, so I went, no, I went for this one specifically because uh, going containerless with WebAssembly, so this is not talking about Kubernetes at all. This is actually suggesting the next step. Mm-hmm. Containerless. So typically that's service compute, Lambda function, things like that. Now, there's some buzzwords, uh, bingo, happening in this uh, uh, summary here. Um, it's also, again, end of the conference, so slim pickings happening uh, here as well. But it does kind of interest me to see where we're looking to go next, because typically those things are chosen because they solve some kind of problem in the current thing. I mean, if the current thing mm-hmm. is working perfectly, we don't need something new, so why would we get for something new? Well, this whatever is not ideal, so we're building something new to fix that thing. So I'm looking at this one not as much as learning more about WebAssembly, but more looking at, okay, what is it supposed to fix, which apparently is a problem in Kubernetes today. A bit of reverse Fair psychology enough. going on there. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, then. Uh, mine is there, actually. Very yeah. light blue, right at the bottom. Elephant on wheels. Uh, they're actually... Three ele- elephant uh, jokes in the whole schedule, and they're all three from LinkedIn, as far as I can remember. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's... LinkedIn sessions are usually very, very strong, and, you know, there's there's still a little bit about me that, that wants to understand what people are doing in the Kubernetes big data ecosystem. Yeah. Really interested in in what they've got to say. Of course, there's a little bit of buzzwords, kind of uh, buzzword bingo sprinkled in there as AI mm-hmm. is uh, smacked right into the title. But yeah, I think I think it could be a good session. Interested to see what the uh, what the current state of the art is. Yeah, I, do, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna do a shout out to Hadoop. It's not dead yet. I mean, you can see here that the reference to the elephants are obviously Hadoop related and they're talking about Yarn mm-hmm. here and uh, Cube to Hadoop, HCFS. So it's not because it's old that it's not being in use anymore. That's quite contrary. The bigger the organizations, the older their production tech will be. They're the ones that are on the cusp doing the new stuff, but the stuff still needs to be working as well, right? So there's a lot of big, somewhat older technology there available too. And finding yeah. out how these companies integrate one with the other is always a good thing. So, yeah. yeah. Not my pick, though. Uh, what was I going to do? Um, yeah, I went for this one with a bit of mixed feeling, to be honest. Uh, mixed feeling being SUSE and OpenStack. 
OpenStack not really that high-tech anymore. Sousa, well, mm-hmm. we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in, uh, with the whole news episode on uh, the Rancher acquisition. So maybe some interesting stuff there. But it's a couple of companies that are very open-source-minded-ish, mm. at least. Uh, OpenStack is open source. Sousa should be open source. Yeah, open source. I, I know. Something... I know. It's the last session no, of no, the, no, the no. conference. There's, there's something odd about this, though, okay. because Sousa very publicly, I, I, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was. I would like to say less than a year ago, but the way that time flies, it's probably. It possibly was a couple of years ago now, very publicly exited from the OpenStack project. Like their all of their OpenStack um, you know, engineers were let go. As I say, it maybe it was only a year ago, but but time has certainly flied. So I mm, I I I find it a little bit odd that we've got folks from SUSE here talking about uh about OpenStack and uh, and about things growing up, that that doesn't sit terribly well, well with me. I agree, kind of an int- an interesting topic, but it's mm. a nice segue to start of the starting to round off this whole thing. And my overall idea behind the sessions we we went through, and one thing that I kind of think noticed. There's one more session that, though. Hmm. There's one more session slot. Yeah. Well, I don't care. I'm just going to talk about this anyway now because you mentioned <laughs> it. Is that I don't see the talks as much driven by the organizations as by the people. And as you say, SUSE pulled out a year ago, but the people mm-hmm. who developed that stuff are probably still pretty deep doing that. Uh, maybe not as their job anymore, but they're still involved there. And that's why I don't see a problem here with having Jean Philippe from SUSE talking with uh, OpenStack, because even though he may not be officially uh, connected with it anymore, they were pretty heavily in there at the time and I see a lot of these sessions coming from the point of view unless it has in the title uh, company x doing blah with blah i don't see it that tightly connected to the uh, to the organization but again it's my first kubecon and it's one of the things i'm hoping to learn if that's a correct assumption or not mm-hmm. but apparently yep there's another session which apparently i didn't select anything for which probably means that i didn't find anything useful so while you can well, search for yours i'll see if i can find something interesting in that case you missed a true gem which is probably. migrating to open telemetry from a custom distributed tracing pipeline oh, Francis from shopify um yeah i think this this to me uh just looks just looks wonderful um understanding uh, an organization that built their own distributed tracing pipeline back in 2016 and how they sort of migrated that to open telemetry again we've already touched on that it's a it's a big thing lots mm-hmm. of people are caring about it um and i'd love to understand what their what their journey was like and uh, it talks about concrete details of the migration process so Hopefully, we'll have some some real world experience along the way. No, I, I agree. Open telemetry is interesting. And while I'm here, just looking if there's anything else I would prefer. Uh, oh no, I've, I've I know what you should click on. You should go down to sponsors below. That's where you should go, and you should carry on scrolling and carry on scrolling past all the. No one cares about the people at the top. Like, of course, <laughs> they're going to be at the top. Yeah. No one cares about that. Nah, startups don't there. care about those. Yay. Media partners, there we are. Hooray. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I'm, I'm really interested and really excited for this KubeCon. Uh, I do think that there's a really, there's a really nice mix of sessions. There's some intro stuff. There's some some more in depth stuff. There's a lot of like wider ecosystem stuff. There's not quite as much, and I see this as a as a positive. Um, you know, X Y Z project mm. update blah, which I honestly I find those unless you're in deep on that particular you know, CNCF or cloud native, or maybe it's just a project that integrates with that ecosystem. I, f I find those can be really quite dull sometimes. And I didn't see very much of that here. I saw a lot of really interesting sessions um, that that seem to be a lot more real world focused. And uh, yeah, love it. Love the way the agenda is developed. Uh, going back to this. I was assuming that the gray maintainer track sessions were actually sessions from project maintainers. Mm -hmm. And both you and I, we really didn't select any of those, a couple nope. I think here and there, but there, there were quite a few every time. Yeah. So they are there, but, but you don't they're have definitely to. not overwhelming. Yeah, but you don't, the, the nice thing is you don't have, you know, the, there weren't days or slots when all you could do was, was those. And I think that no. that's been a, a problem before, not for a while, but before there've been like all you all you had was updates like that for a you know, whole slots. Yeah, no, I think the curation of the the sessions is something we have to look at after the event happened. Of course, we we'll have to listen mm. to some sessions before we can actually talk, comment on that. But I do think that you're yeah. right that how they've uh, scheduled them, it was always pretty reasonable to find something in your own sphere of. Interest, interest. things that uh, matter to you, you work with, you you do stuff with, interested in stuff like that. So, from that point of view, I do like our first delving into everything KubeCon. <laughs> well, yeah. second thing, we had previous episode and we had the interview with the co-chairs, of course. For people who yeah. haven't seen that one yet, we had oh, let's we have we have YouTube now, so we can actually go to our own website and look that up, can't we? But while you talk, I can actually scroll through this and show her off our beautiful website. You could, I was going to say, you could just do the search. There you go. Um, Found it. Well done, <laughs> Vicky and Constance. Um, the conference is, is shaping up to look awesome. Um, you know, we're, we're now at, at, a, at a glorious episode um, 205. And that was back at 180. So we've, we've come quite a way since then. But it's, yeah, I'm really interested. I'm really excited. Uh, I wish the uh, the folks behind the scenes, um, no doubt, uh, stressing and sweating bullets at this point, uh, all the best luck. And I'm sure it will go smoothly. But, uh, yeah. Well, They've got one thing going for them. It won't be bad weather. And if it is, who cares? <laughs> That's True. Because that was the curse of Although, all the European KubeCons, right? It was bad weather or something. Uh, that was the curse of US KubeCons, oh, US. wasn't it? I think. I don't so, know. I don't um, so we we should be we should be safe here. But yeah, I, I unless uh, unless there's a lightning storm where wherever all of this is hosted from in the cloud in the availability zone. But let's hope they've got multi availability zone disaster recovery set up. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, 
this this could be uh, certainly one of their largest attended KubeCons yet. Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be more international. Uh, we, I mentioned this before we did previous episode that I'm I'm not entirely happy with the fact that they kind of put the sessions from midday till late. Well, not late evening, but evening schedule to be, mm. I guess, more available to the rest of the world as well, Asia Pacific, and also yep. call in from certain points there. So it's not a real EU KubeCon anymore. It's more generic, more more, more generally available. Let's call it that. So yeah, I hope they do get a lot of attendance and a lot of people listening in. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if there's going to be any statistics made available afterwards, but I would definitely be interested to figure out because I'm, I'm on a general note. I'm kind of really interested in how this whole shift from uh, physical events to virtual events has had an effect on both mm. attendees. Because now you can also, I mean, in a physical event, if the session isn't interesting, you're not as quickly going to be walking out of the room because, mm. yeah, you don't do that. On a virtual thing, it's a click, right? So also yeah. being able to score the sessions which work and don't work should be, there should be a lot of more useful telemetry coming out of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. But uh, yeah, hopefully we can get uh, some of the folks back on the podcast to uh, tell us about their experiences. Uh, yep, we will reach out. That's a fact. Uh, if any of our listeners have any questions they want us to pose to the organizers or sessions, uh, let us know. We're happy to do that for you. But with that, unless you have any closing words. That's all from me. That is all the time we have for today. You can support the podcast. You can become a patron. We like our patrons and your contribution really does help. We are on YouTube, as you hopefully see, or if you're listening in P3s, then you can hear that we're on YouTube. Not the same thing. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and do all the YouTube stuff. We still have our website at www.roaringelf.org. You can find a link to our Patreon page there and more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Roaring Elephant tag, and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is... It's not just not KubeCon time yet. Jon? And my name is Fully Scheduled Dave. <laughs> yeah, right. I look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>